0: What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because you can have your cake and eat it too. By popular demand, the Side Hustle Showdown series is back. This is where we pit two popular business models against each other in a friendly debate style episode. And on the table today, it's blogging versus YouTube, which is better to focus on for audience growth, for monetization. Basically, where are you going to find the best ROI for your limited time? We've got two gracious volunteers for today's event, both from the food and recipe niche, food blogger niche, so we can compare proverbial apples to apples. In the first corner, representing the blogging side of the debate, she started DelishDelights.com as a side hustle to share her love of Latin food and has since turned it into a one of several income streams under her multi-six-figure business umbrella, Janice Torres-Rodriguez. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: You bet. And in the other corner, representing the video side, the YouTube side of the debate, she's a former lawyer who started RainbowPlantLife.com and, of course, the accompanying Rainbow Plant Life YouTube channel to share how to master vegan cooking at home. Nisha Vora, welcome. To the Side Hustle Show.
2: Thanks so much for having me here. Yeah, great to be here.
0: You bet. So I'm going to start off with Nisha here. You are closing in on half a million YouTube subscribers, like the population of a pretty good sized city. uh, To put it in comparison, 20 million lifetime views. That doesn't happen by accident, obviously. But I want to know if there was a video that went viral or a moment in time that all of a sudden the channel was like, on the map, where all the stars aligned, and it just kind of took off. Did you have that moment?
2: No, not really. I, I feel like I still haven't gone viral, and I'm not like trying to. So it's it's fine. I think it's just been a steady progression of figuring out what kind of videos my audience is interested in, and my potential audience is interested to you know grow the audience. And I think I started out really, really slowly. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just kind of throwing things out into the universe. And it wasn't until I started focusing on content strategy and being really smart about it and doing a lot of pre-planning that I started to see the growth pretty much last year. And just capitalizing on what works and continuing to do that has worked a lot. There was no specific moment or no specific video. Okay,
0: in a way that's more positive, I feel like that's more controllable. Like, okay, if I'm consistent with it and I serve my audience and I practice this craft of getting better and better, eventually the algorithm uh, giveth. Um, and and you can be rewarded for that versus sometimes you see, well, I posted three videos and the third one, you know, got a million views and I was off to the races. Like, well, I don't know how realistic or how duplicatable, how replicable that may be. And I want to dive into the content strategy behind, okay, what do I create videos about in a moment? But Janice, you started with the written content first. And uh, maybe same question, like, was there a post of yours that you know, hit the Pinterest lottery or something that took off for you?
1: For me, it was actually Facebook of all places, which if you think about now, it's almost impossible to go viral on Facebook. You have to pay for ads to show up in front of everybody. But back when I was really getting into like turning this from a side hustle hobby thing into, you know, can I create some sort of business around this? I was really relying heavily on Facebook and, you know, the ability to go viral on there, this was around like 2015, I joined some like blogger sharing groups where people would literally just like share their favorite recipes from different websites. And one of them just went nuts uh, to the point that my site crashed. So at that point I realized, okay, maybe my, my host can't handle this level of bandwidth. So I got to do something here. But that happened several different times. And the thing that I noticed was the Latin food was what was going viral. So that gave me some really
0: good intuition into what I should continue to do from a content creation strategy. Are you constantly having to come up with new recipes or your unique take on classic recipes? How do you figure out what to write about next? It's a little bit of
1: both. So my inspiration definitely comes from my Puerto Rican heritage. I started sharing my grandmother's recipes and my parents' recipes and that is something that really resonated with people because there just aren't a lot of Puerto Rican food bloggers <laughs> in general. Maybe there's like five of us, you know, that actually have like really prominent websites. And a lot of these recipes tend to be things that are passed on like a families, right? Like you know, there's a notebook or something, Yeah. but for people who have lost those relatives that have those recipes, they come to sites like mine to recreate the memories that they had growing up.
0: Okay. And that is one thing I, I want to point out. It's like, rather than a generic food blog or, you know, I'm going to talk about everything under the fun. It's like, no, you have narrowed down, niched down to Latin food, Puerto Rican food. And same thing for Nisha, like we're going to tackle the vegan niche. And um, and I love the, the name and the branding on Rainbow Plant Life as well. Nisha, talk to me about what goes into your content strategy. Is there keyword research involved? How do you figure out what to vlog or or write about next
2: I would say there's very little keyword research involved. I feel like it's quite different from blogging in that way. At least it is for me. I think maybe if you're just starting out, keyword research is helpful. But YouTube, people call it like the second largest search platform. But really what it is, is more of a very sophisticated algorithm that will show you videos that YouTube thinks you like and you will enjoy. And it's a very powerful suggested algorithm. And so instead of thinking about like, oh, um, there's an opportunity to rank for this Recipe that's, you know, not super competitive, but has enough search traffic. It's more like, what will my audience and potential audience find interesting? How can I bring my unique, you know, spin to vegan cooking? And what do I think I'm really good at or that I can create the best recipe out of? And so I have a lot of creative flexibility. I think in that way where I can just basically pick anything I want and think, okay, how can I make it the best possible version? And how can I make either an educational, entertaining, or a combination of both of those things make a video that will do that for my audience? And so there's a lot of pre-planning. Okay, like well, you know, this particular video performed well, like, is it because that recipe was amazing? Or is it because the style of filming? Or is it because like, I involved some sort of extra component, like a taste test with my parents, and then just kind of iterating on that and and thinking about how that might play out in different seasons and different times and different contexts.
0: That's really interesting to hear. So relying more on kind of the organic discovery, you know, people who watch this might also want to watch this, rather than how to make fill in the blank, you know, recipe or something like that, unless it's a super simple recipe. It's like, I'm more often going to the written content for that type of thing as a consumer of recipe sites, food content. So that's, that's interesting to hear. It's like, okay, where I'm going in the limited experience with YouTube, I'm going into TubeBuddy or VidIQ and like, okay, what's the search volume? How competitive is this? Sounds like that's not a, a core part of the process for you.
2: It's definitely not for me. It might be for other people. But I did try to do that when I first started when I didn't know anything about how to make a video and I didn't know anything about how to engage an audience. And I was doing those things and it was like not paying it off at all. So I think maybe if you're just starting out and you have some good video skills and you kind of have a content strategy, that can certainly be a useful tool for you. Because if you're just starting out, you don't want to necessarily make a recipe that's the most popular recipe ever. But I think for most creators, it's not super helpful unless, again, it's an instructional video, like how to fix a leaky faucet. Like search is super helpful for that because no one's watching how to fix a leaky faucet unless they have a leaky faucet and they're searching for it. But for me personally, and I feel like for a lot of successful creators in this space, it's more about the organic content and the connection with the viewer and all those other things that don't have anything to do with keyword research.
0: Right. Think of it as a big infotainment channel where it's it's got to be visually appealing it's got to be entertaining and you got to deliver you know what you promised on it hopefully helps people in some way versus the straight up instructional uh problem solving type of content which there's absolutely room to play in that space on on youtube as well Janice, what about for you anything on the keyword research like you're looking up well, how many people are searching how to make uh, ropa vieja or something uh, every month
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a big part of my strategy. I tend to look for recipes that don't have like a great blog post associated with them as the first page results, because then I know I can fill that gap. So I'll go and, you know, just research different recipes that I ate growing up and seeing like what level of quality there is when it comes to content. And I can be pretty sure that if I create a very structured SEO friendly blog post, that it's going to end up ranking, you know, top five.
0: Nisha, tell me about the time it takes to produce, in your mind, quality YouTube video uh, start to finish.
2: A lot. I will <laughs> say a lot. So I have an external video editor. So that is a lot of it. So that has taken some time off my plate. It's a contractor, but there, it's just one team that like I work with consistently. It's not like I'm just sending it out to different people all the time. It could be 30 to 40 hours, honestly, of work. It varies. Like some of my videos are a bit shorter and it's some of them are 15, 20 minutes long and it it could be well upwards of 40 hours. But the pre-planning part where I do spend most of my time, I think that has really paid off for me. As I was mentioning when I first started, I was just like throwing things out there like I think this is what people on YouTube in the vegan space are making. Like, let me let me just do the same thing and not spending any time in that initial planning phase or very little time in that initial planning phase. So spending a lot more time in the planning phase and honing your content strategy to be very unique to you and very, I guess, just very tailored to what your audience likes. That takes a lot of time. So I won't, I won't pretend that it doesn't.
0: Yeah. That's, um, it's a a significant investment. I mean, I've got blog posts that I have 40 hours into as well. And I can only imagine what, what it would take if I tried to make a video version of that are you embedding the video because you have rainbowplantlife.com too? Are you embedding those videos into the site? Like, is there a, a complementary play where the video uh, supplements the written content or vice versa?
2: Uh, yeah. I, for most blog posts, or not for most blog posts, for most YouTube videos that I have, I do insert it or embed it into the blog post. I don't know how many people actually watch it because I feel like most people who come to blogs are there for a quick experience to get the recipe to print it out or to pin it or whatever. And my videos, the shortest ones are like six minutes, so... I don't think pe- that many people are watching them. I do put them there for like the very loyal super fans who want to watch them. And sometimes I will chop them down into quick one minute videos that will instead live at the top of the page, which is, I think, more helpful for a blog to just see the quick instructional video as opposed to then hear me talk about it and be casual and all those other things that come in a YouTube video. Yeah, I, I don't know about that.
0: I don't know. I've, I've found myself, you know. I could read all about this or you could just show me, especially if it's like a visual thing, like, okay, I want to watch how you do, especially for food related stuff. Because like, anytime there's like a description, it's like, I just, is is it supposed to look like that? Let me watch the video. Okay. And Janice, I imagine not 34 hours, 30, 40 hours into a a piece of written content, but I could be wrong there.
1: No, I think that's one of the many reasons why I was just like, yeah, I'm never going to be a YouTube star because there's just way too much involved here, but I would say from, and, you know, I'm not a big planner when it comes to like content creation. So I kind of let my creativity, you know, inspire me as to what I want to make. That being said, I would say from grocery shopping to final publishing, it's
0: probably anywhere from like eight to 12 hours for me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the big part of it. It's the play, especially what well, you got to make, you got to make the thing, you got to take nice looking pictures of it and edit edit the picture, you know, it's a little bit more than just different recipe iterations. I could definitely see that being a time consuming thing. So I digress. Okay, where else do we want to go on um, this content strategy front? One thing that makes me maybe nervous about YouTube is probably the wrong word because it's, you know, it's been a platform that's, you know, that is obviously here to stay, but there's still this feeling of you're playing in somebody else's sandbox. The algorithm giveth, the algorithm taketh away. I've had some friends where their account was just shut down without warning. Does that make you nervous at all? Like I'll get well, the gettings good, but there's this hedge over here on your own site.
2: I think it's super valuable to have your own site or and or your own email list because you own those, right? Of course, your site could crash, but you own those. You get to determine the content. you get to determine mean you get to determine the content on YouTube too. but it's like you own them, and you can kind of shape them a little bit. At the same time, though, I think a blog is still... You still have an algorithm, right? You still have Google search. You still have Pinterest to work with. And those are all kind of determining how visible your post will be. So what I like about YouTube, even though it is this algorithm that you don't have control over, is that it's a bit more of a meritocracy. So... I feel like in order to be at the top of Google for a recipe, especially a very popular type of common recipe, say chocolate chip cookies, you have to either have a long established blog with a lot of domain authority, a lot of backlinks. Um, you also have to have a really, really well run site that like is optimized on a bunch of different technical levels. You have to understand SEO. You have to optimize that blog post itself as well as other you know parts of your blog. So there's just a lot of Factors that go into determining whether you get to that top result or top five on Google. Whereas with YouTube, if you can create a really compelling video, maybe you show this is the best chocolate chip cookie recipe, and here's five reasons why. And your videography is at least somewhat good. You're showing that really beautiful bite shot. You're like engaging, you're informative, you're inspiring. Like obviously those are those aren't easy things, but like you could be a small channel. And if you do th- do those things and have a title and thumbnail that are clickable and intriguing. Like you could very well be a channel with a thousand subscribers and then be in the top search results for chocolate chip cookie, even though it's such a common recipe. So, yes, it is an algorithm, but I think that if you do those two things really well, like the engaging content and the clickable thumbnail title, you can have more success than uh, you might if you're just starting out with a blog.
0: Okay, that is an interesting point, and that's something that I've seen too, where you know the the top. Searches in written Google, you know, regular Google versus YouTube Google, are heavily driven by domain authority. How long has it been around? How many links does it have? Like that is, it can be a tough nut to crack for a newer content creator. But you're saying in in your experience, like, okay, there's probably some level of channel authority or similar metrics. But there's more room for a newer content creator on YouTube to to gain some visibility where they might have a harder time kind of cracking that code in Google or it's just going to be a longer road. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah. Longer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nisha, how long was it for you before, I don't know if you were doing this on the side from the attorney thing, like before you're like, okay, I'm going to be a full-time food blogger, full-time YouTuber. Like, was there a point at which you were comfortable saying like, okay, I don't have to dust off this law degree anymore?
2: Uh so I actually left law before I became a full-time content creator. I was working at a food startup in New York City. So I was doing that full-time okay. and then kind of building Rainbow Plant Life on the side. Basically went full-time almost about two years ago, ex- exactly two years ago. But for YouTube, it was it was slow because at the beginning, again, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just, I think this is popular. Let me try it out. But it was never done with a lot of intention with a lot of planning and with a lot of thought about like, what am I actually good at? I was also working full-time, so just couldn't devote that much time to it. I also had Instagram, I had a blog, I was writing a cookbook. So like, just like very little time went into thinking about it thoughtfully. So I would say I went full-time two years ago and then my YouTube channel started to really take off last year. So the last 12 to 16 months or so.
0: Do you think that was a result of having more time to put into it or
2: just? Yeah. Basically from eight hours which is mostly just filming to then having 30 to 40 hours to think about it in the pre-planning stage, to be thoughtful, to, to be kind of more critical about like, okay, this video sucks, Nisha, why, like, how can we improve it? Or like, how can we take it to the next level? Or how can I be more engaging on this particular topic?
0: Are there metrics that you're shooting for in terms of, I want to get to, you know, 40% watch time or, or something like that per video?
2: No. Uh, I am not a numbers person at all. My partner, who he does a lot of the analytics, but I feel like it takes away from my creativity if I'm constantly focused on numbers. And so my goal is just continue to produce good content as often as I can. and hopefully the the numbers will reflect that. So I will say that, like watch time and views are probably the most important thing on YouTube, but I try not to like spend any time looking at them.
0: <laughs> Once it's out there, it's out there. And you can maybe learn from that for the next one, but it's kind of like, well, I'm not going to go and reshoot this thing. So you've been full-time at it for two years. How long before that, like I'm trying to get the the pre, like the side hustle period, like how long were you building it up uh, prior to that?
2: So I started Rainbow Plant Life in 2016 in the spring when I was still a lawyer and it was just Instagram. I didn't have a blog. I didn't have a YouTube channel. And then I quit law at the end of 2016. Started working full time in the food space in 2017. Started YouTube probably summer, sometime summer of 2017. So it's been about four years, but I really wasn't super focused there until I guess one and a half to two years ago.
0: For Janice, how about you? How how long was it? As a, I know you got a lot of projects going on, but um, was there a, a moment in time where you're like, all right, I'm a full time uh, food blogger?
1: Yeah. I think it was when I was doing my taxes for 2020. I was like, wait a minute, we make this much money. Okay. I think I can quit my job now, but it's definitely a slow grind when it comes to blogging. I started my blog in mid 2013, didn't know anything about it. So I really spent the greater part of like two years after that, really just learning the science of blogging and and niching down. And then 2016 was when I first started making money. And uh, it's been, you know, a roller coaster ever since then. But every year, it's kind of grown exponentially as far as the income coming in from the blog. So I think there's a certain level of consistency and niching down. I think is the thing that changed everything for me.
0: Oh, okay. What it started a little more broad in its early days.
1: I was all over the place. Like when I first started, I didn't know anything about having a niche. So it was like, whatever I felt like cooking that day was what was going to go on the blog. I was taking pictures with like an iPhone four or five or something. There were terrible pictures with no kind of food styling, you know? So I had to teach myself that stuff on the fly.
0: Yes. A learning a learning curve that goes <laughs> goes into everything. And same here, like, so I started blogging in 2009, but didn't rebrand until 2013 to Side Hustle Nation. And the same thing, you know, once you start to niche down and like, no, this is what I'm going to talk about. This is the audience that I want to serve. That's when things started to uh, do a little better. Still a long, still a long, slow climb, but definitely uh, there was a a turning point for sure. Does it make sense to jump over to the monetization side of things now? Because my understanding, or at least based on the recipes that I pull up on my phone, it's like, this is a heavily ad driven business where I'm going to make money on display ads on my site. Is that correct, Janice?
1: Yeah, for me, that's the bulk of my income. It's that and sponsored content. So working with brands to create custom recipes with their products. Those are the two main ways that I monetize and a little bit of affiliate marketing with companies like Amazon.
0: Okay. What's the ad network that you're currently with?
1: I'm with AdThrive, so I was able to join them in 2018 after I consistently was hitting 100,000 page views
0: a month. Okay. I want to probably circle back on this sponsored content piece too, but Nisha, for you, is it AdThrive or a similar network for the rainbowplantlife.com blog?
2: I have AdThrive on on my website and then on YouTube it's, you know, the ads that they serve through Google.
0: Between the two between the traffic to the site. I'm curious about the income pie, Nisha. Like, is YouTube a significant chunk of that revenue for you?
2: Yeah, um, I think my blog earnings are still higher. Uh, I think just the AdThrive partner, whatever that I have the the settings, whatever. I think it just works very well. I used to have a different ad provider and certainly didn't make as much as as I do with AdThrive. So. If anyone's listening is eligible for Ad Thrive, check them out. Um, not sponsored. And then the YouTube earnings, they're very good, but I still think the blog earnings are, are a little bit better. But a lot of YouTube creators are just on YouTube and make a very decent living from just YouTube ads. I'm sure they do sponsorships too, but once you get to a certain threshold of views, and obviously depending on what your lifestyle is, where you live, you can make a you can make a decent living from from YouTube alone.
0: This edition of the Side Hustle Show is also sponsored by Freshbooks. I've been a Freshbooks customer even longer than I've been a Beaver Builder customer. This is the award winning accounting and invoicing solution that's built for service providers, agencies, consultants, you know, side hustlers. Heavy Freshbooks users report saving up to 11 hours a week on their bookkeeping and accounting tasks. That adds up to a lot more deep work time to move your business forward, up to the tune of 500 hours a year that's huge. So what are you going to find under the hood? Well, FreshBooks takes all of the not so fun parts of running a business from building and tracking invoices to organizing your expenses to managing online payments, and it automates and simplifies them. I'll be the first to tell you there's a lot to love about being your own boss. But trying to figure out your financials all on your own, probably isn't one of those things what would it look like if it were easy? I feel like that's one of those uh, Tim Ferriss reframing questions. What would it look like if it were easy? Well, inside the intuitive FreshBooks interface, you'll find all the reports you need to know exactly where your business stands. And you can easily hand over the keys to your accountant so they can take over when it's time to reconcile everything for the year. Give FreshBooks a try for free for 30 days. There's no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the Side Hustle show in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started today. That's FreshBooks.com sidehustle Side Hustle to get more time back to build the business you love. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah. Are you doing sponsored videos, sponsored content there as well?
2: I do a little bit. I do very little, um, I think, overall compared to a lot of creators just because I want to protect my brand and also my time. And so I don't have a ton of experience with it. What I like about doing YouTube sponsorships versus say on a blog or Instagram is that they can be very general and sometimes not even really related to the video. So like I've seen food creators advertise for a deodorant in the middle of a video. It's like, Hey, this morning I had cereal for breakfast. Oh, wait, did I tell you I love this natural deodorant? Oh, now it's time for lunch. And so it gives you a lot more flexibility to work with kind of adjacent lifestyle brands that aren't necessarily like, oh, here's this, these canned tomatoes from this brand. They make the best canned tomatoes and now I have to use it in this recipe and show you. So I think there's a little bit more flexibility there, which is nice. (laughs)
0: Yeah, You're not necessarily working in the natural deodorant into your blog post (laughs) accompaniment. Cause that's like, that, that came out of left field. But okay, that makes sense. Uh, Janice, are you doing anything proactively to solicit this type of sponsored partnership? Or they do they find you at this point?
1: Yeah, so typically, I have used influencer marketing uh, agencies in order to find these opportunities. So I'm part of I don't know, five or six different ones. And they'll send out pitches via email, or um, I'll go onto the portal and see like what opportunities there are. And it really is just a matter of picking what opportunity you think is going to make sense and how you can think about how you can weave that into
0: your content and then uh, providing your rate for the, the post. Are there one or two of these influencer agencies that you like?
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of activate.social. They're pretty good. They have a really great dashboard to even view your metrics. So if you never even like join an opportunity with them, just becoming an influencer on their network gives you access to this really cool dashboard that kind of lets you see your reach across all your different platforms. And they're a lot more flexible with uh, allowing you to choose their rate versus other agencies will just tell you this is what we're going to pay and if,
0: you know, it doesn't work for you then go look for something else. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So there's some flexibility there to say, this is what I'm going to charge for a blog post. Do you mind sharing what that rate may be or a a ballpark range? Yeah. So I don't do anything for
1: less than a thousand dollars at this point.
0: Okay. Very cool. And any other influencer networks that you like?
1: I have been a part of social fabric for a very long time and they're really popular with food bloggers. So that's a great place for people to start with. That's who I started with when I was just starting out and trying to get my feet wet with the sponsored content. So I'm a fan of them as well.
0: All right. And then you mentioned Amazon as well as an affiliate play. Is that just for certain ingredients or cooking tools, supplies, that kind of thing?
1: Yeah. So I tend to link specialized equipment that you might need for a recipe, like, uh, you know, some of the Puerto Rican recipes rely on like specific pots or
0: specific utensils. So I'll pop those into a the blog post. Nisha, are you allowed, able to do affiliate stuff on YouTube as well?
2: Yeah, I, I don't really except for like Amazon links to like my cooking equipment, which I use on a regular basis. I think for affiliate marketing, there's no rules, but I think it makes sense when you regularly use that product or use it in that particular video again, like if you don't mention the natural deodorant, like you're probably not going to do your affiliate marketing in the video link, but there are no specific rules. You're definitely allowed to do it.
0: I imagine you get questions all the time. Well, what was that pan you were using or something? Like, then you can answer in the comments or even in the description to say like, here are all the tools and equipment used in this episode, Amazon link. And you also got the book deal out of the um, media empire that you have built. It's the vegan instant pot cookbook. And, you know, traditionally published deals, so, you know, smaller royalties, but I was looking, it's got like thousands of reviews on Amazon. It's been very popular. Can you tell me a little bit about what that process was like?
2: Sure. Um, So this was the beginning of 2018. I was working still at the startup full-time and very small audience on YouTube, bigger audience on Instagram and very little blog traffic. Like again, I was working full-time, so I was really mostly focusing on Instagram And I had maybe a list, I don't know, maybe like 10 Instant Pot recipes and a publisher with Avery Books, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House, just randomly emailed me and was like, have you ever thought about writing a vegan Instant Pot cookbook and would you like to write one with us? And I was like, no, I have not thought about that. Am I qualified? But yes, I would say yes. <laughs> and then it kind of just went from there and it was it was a ton of work, but also very rewarding And I love being able to like devote a lot of energy into one big thing. And yeah, then it kind of just made me an expert on vegan instant pot cooking, which I never anticipated doing or being.
0: I mean, that's such an awesome story. Like, you know, putting content out into the world, somebody, you never know who's paying attention, who discovers it. You don't know how many other people they reached out to and they're like, nah, I'm focused on other projects. But you're like, sure, I'll, I'll take a crack at it. Let's see what happens. Did they give you an advance? Like, how did this how did this work? You get a share of, you know, every quarter you get book royalties or something?
2: I definitely got a, a nice advance. But again, the bigger your advance is, then the longer it will take you to earn royalties. And so there is a trade-off there. As a first-time author, I didn't know too much about it, but I had a literary agent. I used to be a lawyer, so I can like read contracts. But it's a very new kind of unknown process if you're a first-time author. So if anyone's listening that's like thinking about this, right, I would just recommend talking to people who have written a book before, who have sold a book before, because there's just so much information that you would not have any clue about. And it's important to know some stuff. You don't have to know everything going into it, but it's important to just know some basics and ground... Kind of ground rules, I would say.
0: Well, I imagine since that was a hit, have they come back and been like, "Well, where's you know, where's part two Or you know, what else? What else have you got for us?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm writing my second book as we speak, which is why I'm not able to like be on YouTube as frequently as I would like in terms of uploading. Okay. But yeah, I'm working on the second one. It's not an instant pot cookbook, but it will be a hopefully lovely vegan cookbook. All
0: right, well we'll be on the lookout. For that, I'm sure you'll be able to find links and resources to that at rainbowplantlife.com when it is available. Janice, what about you? I imagine, and this is common for you know a lot of the food bloggers I know, it's like even if they don't score this traditionally published book deal, there is some product, You know, maybe it's a self-published cookbook, maybe it's something like that. Do you have any products uh, of your own that you sell?
1: No, and just the thought of like self-publishing a cookbook gives me so much anxiety that I'm like, you know what, the only way this is ever going to happen is if somebody sends me emails, like we will handle the logistics for this because I've gone back and forth with it so many times. And, you know, I just think about my own journey as a, you know, as a foodie, like I don't really buy cookbooks. So if I'm looking for recipes, I'm just going to go online. So I'm like, let me just do what makes sense for me. And if that opportunity comes, then we'll cross that bridge when we get there.
0: Fair enough. Okay. Anything else on the monetization side? So we did the display ads, the affiliate stuff, the sponsored content, the product option. I'll throw this out to either of you. Anything else that's ringing the cash register in the business?
1: I think it's just important to note that monetization is something that is going to take some time, right? Because these are not industries that you get into to get rich quick. (laughs) <laughs> as a content creator, you're really starting from a place of passion and just wanting to educate people and share your skills and, and share what you love. And I find that the money typically comes as you continue to operate in that space. I've always been able to monetize things after I'm really clear on my messaging and people really understand like why they're interacting with the brand. So I think... Just, you know, if you're in the place right now where you're creating a YouTube or social media platform or a blog, anything like that, just know that it's about putting in the work first. Don't focus on the money. The money will come.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's it's a long, long road there. I want to talk about some other marketing methods, tactics, strategies, and specifically, you know, trying to future-proof your business through email collections. I know you guys both have, you know, email opt-ins on the site. Curious, what have you found that works well? So, Janice, I see like, you know, there's a little thing in the sidebar, you know, subscribe, you know, never miss a recipe. Is that a priority for you? I don't know, on specific posts, if there's like, you know, opt ins or cheat sheets or, you know, it's, it's huge in the digital marketing space, like, oh, this content upgrade type of thing.
1: Yeah. I've never really built anything um, beyond, you know, just having an opt in list for emails and then people automatically get new emails when they come into my mailing list. I think another thing that I've been focusing on, especially because of Google's update, and I've been doing a lot of optimization on my end from the blog. I'm doing a lot of restructuring old posts and, you know, refreshing things that have been sitting around for a while. And Pinterest is a huge driver of traffic for me. So I'm always creating uh, content with Pinterest in mind at this point.
0: Anisha, are you able to drive email signups from YouTube? or What's a typical like call to action for you?
2: Yeah. So since I also have a blog, it depends on the video. So if it's a single recipe video, I'm almost certainly going to be driving traffic to the blog post. Um, And that is a great source of traffic for me, I think, depending on the recipe. But usually it's it's the top social media search traffic for me more than Pinterest, certainly more than Instagram and Facebook. But if it's a video, that's not just a focus of us. The focus is not just a specific recipe. Maybe it's a couple different recipes. Maybe it's like a, how to eat on a budget or how to meal prep. I usually create PDFs, like downloadable guides that will have, depending on what the content is, but a grocery list and order of operations on how to like do the meal prep or whatever it is, the recipes, like ideas, fun little tips and things like that. And it's totally free, but to get it, you sign up for my email list. And so that has been a big way for me to build my email list. I think much more than just having the opt in on my blog, which certainly gets, you know, new people in the door, but I think. Think more people come in the door when they get that specific, targeted uh, piece of content that they really want. I want to revamp my blog uh, sign up so that I'm actually sending something a little bit more useful than a free. I think it's like 20 popular recipe ebook kind of thing that you get if you sign up. Um, from what I've heard from other creators, the successful sign ups happen, or like a lot of sign ups happen when you provide some sort of course or teaching series of emails. So like, if I were to do one, like how to master Instant Pot, like get the free guide, and maybe it's like a series of three or four emails.
0: I like that idea. It's like trying to meet the customer where they are or the viewer reader, where they are, like, what would be the logical next helpful thing for them and having that behind an email just so now you have another touch point where if the algorithm changes or, you know, the account gets in trouble, like, okay, at least I have another touch point. And I found that through the Facebook group, through the email list, through the, like, you know, multiple, multiple pronged attack in a lot of ways. And Janice, you mentioned, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to optimize this stuff for Pinterest with, you know, the image and the pin images. I would love to geek out on Pinterest because this is continues to be this, you know, black box enigma where it's like, I know my people are out there and I know we're putting effort to try and reach them, but it's just kind of like, <sighs> flatline. Flatlining is like performing well, like, but I would, I, you know, I want to see it 10x. Let's hear some of the uh, Pinterest marketing strategies that are, uh, that have worked well or are working well for you today.
1: When it comes to recipes, I mean, it's all about the quality of the content for me. So i really try to focus on, you know, having the optimized size for Pinterest and you can use websites like Canva to use, you know, pre-built templates and create your images that way. I tried doing where I have, the photo and some text and just the photo. And honestly, I haven't seen a big difference. So I can't tell you what's the right way to do it. And I've also been leaning into the little snippet videos that you can now do on Pinterest. So I have, I work with a video uh, content creator who takes my recipes and creates like 60 second tasty style videos where they're shooting from above and just doing like a really quick version of the recipe. And that's also been really great for driving traffic.
0: Oh, okay. So yeah, now I'm on Delish Delight, and you guys are both Pinterest celebrities as far as I'm concerned, like millions of monthly views. Like, oh, if only I could crack that uh, figure. But a lot of these are not following the pin style that I was kind of taught to create with, you know, a big bold text and it's something like that. But it's like, it's mostly at least on, Delish delights so far is is just pictures of the food. Sometimes not even any text at all. And I guess once you click on it, it's indexing like you know the blog post that it came from. But anything about the keyword keyword uh, optimization or anything like that for Pinterest search?
1: I follow the same sort of keyword search and and optimization that I do for the blog. So you know when it comes to Pinterest, it's not something that I've ever really focused on other than just having really pinnable images on my blog. And it kind of just grew from there. Like the audience that I have on there was built by themselves. like It wasn't me going into Pinterest trying to hack the system. So okay. I think just make it really easy to pin stuff. You know, I always have my pinnable image at the top of the page and there are plugins that you can activate on your WordPress blog that allow you to default to a Pinterest friendly image when somebody decides to pin so that they're not pinning the one that you know you didn't want them to pin.
0: Yeah, not not this horizontal thing. No, I'll go for the yeah. good one. One and now I'm curious because I'm on your boards are often delish party food, delish summer recipes, delish drinks. Did you find that that was just how you set it up? Or was there like, oh, people are actually typing in delish and then, you know, spacebar.
1: Nope. It was just sort of keeping in line with the brand. It's funny because I feel like when I tried to replicate my strategies with Pinterest for my personal finance brand now, I feel like I'm learning something completely different this time around because... Pinterest, when it comes to, you know, really image focused content like food or like home design and things that you're just looking at the picture. Like that's where you're getting inspiration from versus, you know, trying to create a graphic that's going to compel somebody to want to learn like about 401ks. <laughs> that's like so different. It's a different ballgame. So I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a new student uh, the second time around.
0: All right, fair enough. Uh, Nisha, lay it on us. Uh, what's, what's working in uh, Pinterest land for you?
2: So my... Knowledge is is a bit limited. I'd say that, like that is the the more my business has grown, I've just tried to find ways to outsource the stuff that I either don't enjoy doing or I'm not great at, or especially things that I'm not great at and don't enjoy doing. And I would say Pinterest has falls into both of those camps. I will also say that I think Pinterest has been doing a lot of changes recently that is making it a little bit harder for food bloggers to get traction. So, they're prioritizing something right now called idea pins or story pins. And those are great, like in the sense that like, if you create one, you're probably going to get a lot of views and impressions and things like that on them, but you can't the, the viewer can't click on them to your website. So they're just stuck looking at this idea pin, like how to make a grilled corn salad. And they're like, oh, fun, looks delicious. But then you click out of it and it's done. And then you're just back to Pinterest. So it's like, they want to keep you on the platform. So I think that's making it a little bit harder for, for creators right now. What we already talked about, like food photography is what, is really important for Pinterest in the food space. So just making sure that you have at least decent food photos, that the food looks appetizing, oftentimes like bite shots or fork shots or things like that perform really well. But I think it's a lot of it is is testing to see what works. And I think you have to do a lot of experimentation um, with either the types of images, the types of like, you know, graphics and fonts and like how much text you include versus how much you don't include. And I think just kind of trying to stay on top of what's new. So like in the last year, Pinterest has really been prioritizing video. So obviously I have a ton of videos, so I will have video pins created and those tend to perform much better than static pins, which are just photos of the food. Okay. So just trying to keep on top of the trends as much as you can without going crazy, I think. And again, like the idea pins is they're definitely prioritizing that. So if you can create those for food bloggers, it's often just like the step-by-step in the next eight slides. I'll show you how to make this, you know, taco recipe or whatever it is. Again, can't click to them to your blog. So it's a bit of a downer, but trying to just keep up with what's new in the same way that all the social media platforms want you to right? Like Instagram wants you to use reels and things like that.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, you know, give, give the platforms what they want. And even if they annoyingly don't let that traffic come over to your site, you know, maybe they reward you in some other way. Well, at least I gained a follower. I don't know. Um, are you able to repurpose some of the YouTube stuff over to Pinterest, probably not one for one, but to create pins out of some of the footage or some of the edited
2: videos that you already have? I use my YouTube videos across different platforms, including Pinterest. It does take some manual work to like chop it down into, if it's a square format or a vertical format, if it's 30 seconds or 60 seconds. Um, I do that for Facebook. I do that for Instagram. I do that for my blog. So the benefit of, of, being a video creator on YouTube is that I can use and reuse and repurpose that video content in in a lot of different ways.
0: I noticed there are several group boards on both of your guys' profiles here. Are those still helpful for you? Maybe, Janice?
1: Honestly, I have no idea. And I keep reading different opinions about the value of group boards these days. I'm kind of just like, it doesn't hurt
0: at this point (laughs) to share them. (laughs) Sure. Fair enough. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. We've been testing some video pins as well, kind of like slideshow style, but like there's video elements to it. And, you know, for list, lists of side hustle ideas or lists of ways to make extra money, like, okay, well, here's... You know, five to seven of those. You know, in this video format, and we're starting to see some traction from that. It was based on a conversation on a podcast earlier this year with Kate All from Simple Pin Media, and it's just I don't know. It's I don't know if the ROI is really is really there uh, yeah. for this stuff, but it's it, kind of like YouTube, where there's it's a search engine, but there's also this you know algorithmic element, this viral element where okay, if people are into this stuff, you know, maybe your stuff starts to get shown in conjunction with that. So it's an interesting platform from that standpoint versus an Instagram or Facebook where it's or Twitter where it's like really, you know, social media. It's here today and by sometimes hours from now, it's just buried. So it has, uh, can have a little bit of a longer lifespan, at least is my hope and understanding there.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any substitute for like just really good search engine optimization. So whether you're optimizing for youtube or you're optimizing for google that's going to be more value added for most people than you know just focusing on one social media platform to boost your stuff
0: nisha you have uh, lots going on i'm curious if there have been any surprises along the way anything that was unexpected you know on the path to building the rainbow plant life uh, media empire
2: uh, well, first of all, I'm flattered that you refer to it as media <laughs> Empire. I've never thought of it that way, but that's a nice confidence boost. Thank you. Um, I'm sure there have been a lot of surprises. I'll just give you a recent one. Um, so I recently moved to Southern California where my family lives. My parents are both here and I was in New York previously and, uh, I've started incorporating now that, you know, things are back to normal-ish. Like everyone in my family's vaccinated, I've been getting together with my family and filming videos where like my parents are involved in a taste test. So I'll make a vegan recipe and I'll like then serve it to them and get their thoughts. Or sometimes I'll compare my recipe to like maybe a standard vegan version of that recipe or to a store bought recipe or something like that and kind of, you know, get their reactions and people have absolutely loved it. I think it's been an amazing way to kind of build a more personal connection with my audience for them to get to know me outside of just cooking, to get to know my family and our relationship and just like my personality. I really just had them in one video as like for fun. And then the reception was just like, wildly good. Oh, cool. And so I've continued to do that. Um, not every video, but I've continued to do it on a regular basis. And it was really surprising, but also just very delightful to see that like people are interested in, in getting to know you as a creator and as a person. And I think that's a really nice benefit of YouTube is that people are there for you. And sure, they love the recipe or they love the way you cook or the way you teach. But what makes you unique is why they're there. And I think that's a really nice benefit of YouTube is to be able to connect and to forge those personal connections.
0: Yeah, very cool. Denise, what about you? Anything that has surprised you in this business building uh, uh, process?
1: Yeah, well, I think the first thing is like, I didn't realize you could actually make a living doing this stuff, which is pretty amazing. Uh, you know, there are a lot worse ways to earn money. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh you know, now that I have a personal finance brand, it's it's kind of come full circle because now I'm teaching people how to start blogs as businesses. So not something I ever imagined, um but it's really cool now, you know, for people to see my journey and be inspired by it and then want to learn. So I've started doing blogging boot camps and that's been really fun kind of walking people through all the things that I wish I had known when I first started the business, right? Like if I could go back and really have had somebody by my side to figure out what the right things to do and what not to waste your time with, I think my journey would have been a lot faster. So I'm really excited to help people um, you know, skip all the, the nonsense and really get to the, the heart of it, which is finding a way to monetize something that you love. And, and
0: that's what blogging has been able to provide for me. Well said. I yeah, monetize something that you love. It comes full circle, right? It's like everybody. Like I start, you know, I started this other business. Other people started asking me about it. It's like, well, naturally, that spawns the next side hustle. So definitely have have been there and, and seen that lots of times. Do you guys want to do closing arguments uh, in favor of video versus written content? If you have anything, you know, parting parting thoughts there.
2: I think YouTube is a great platform for building a very personal business that gets you in front of people who become really super loyal fans who are invested in you as a creator, as a person, and who are much more likely to support you in other endeavors, whether it's writing a book or selling a digital product. It's also, as I mentioned, more of a meritocracy. If you can create really compelling videos, if you can... Create a clickable, intriguing thumbnail and title, you are much more likely to see early success than if you were to just start a blog, you know, from scratch. So I think those are my two main reasons I really like YouTube.
0: I like it. Thanks for sharing. Janice, you're up.
2: I'm all about
1: ownership when it comes to being a content creator. And for me, having a blog is a must. Even if you don't intend on like doing this full time, just having the Real estate on the internet that belongs to you that is not subject to the whims of you know the facebooks and and the googles of the world I think is very powerful and I've seen so many content creators who build these huge platforms on social media and like they wake up one morning and, and everything's gone so just you gotta own something that doesn't involve a third party and you know. For me, when I started blogging, it was really because I just didn't want to be in front of the camera. I, I'm an introvert. And I was kind of like, do I really have to get on video to like be doing this stuff? <laughs> yeah, so you if, both. if you're an introvert and you just want to share your passions with the world and not necessarily have to go and do your hair and makeup and you know, hire a, a stylist <laughs> and become an amateur video editor, I think blogging is is the way to go. And you can always build from there. But if you have something that you want to start sharing with the world, pick what feels the most authentic to you. And it's going to allow you to show up consistently because that is the key to any of these platforms. It's just really finding your groove and and living into
0: that. Yeah, it's so true. Appreciate you, you sharing that. And I think we've seen today and, and in a lot of these other showdown episodes, it's not always either or, but probably more often it's both. And, and I think that's definitely the case with blogging versus YouTube, of course, you want to have a platform, a home base that you own, that you're like in full control over. But you also, you know, you don't want to neglect these other platforms. You want to meet potential readers, viewers, customers where they're at. And maybe that's YouTube. Maybe that's Instagram. Maybe that's Pinterest. Lots of different places to go um, and connect with your people. But appreciate both of you guys joining me. You can check out Janice at delishdelights.com. She's also a fellow podcaster. She hosts the Yokiero Dinero podcast at YoQuieroDinero.com. It's the personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. And of course, you can find all about Nisha's business, including her YouTube channel, Instagram, the Vegan Instant Pot Cookbook, all that stuff at RainbowPlantLife.com. Thank you both so much for joining me, for sharing your insight. Thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this week. Check out freshbooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30-day completely free trial today. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.